This is the Bakery and Snack Chat podcast and I'm Jill Hislop, editor of Bakery and Snacks. Today I'm joined by Purvi Patodia, founder and CEO of Bienna Snacks, to chat about how consumers' shopping and eating habits have shifted, particularly as we move through the pandemic. Brands have had to quickly pivot strategies to keep up with demand and challenges like strains on the supply chain. And Purvi shares with us how Bienna has adjusted to keep product on shelves. How have shopping habits shifted over the past few years? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, We have seen really a wide swing of shopping and eating habits. And on one one end of the spectrum, we're seeing that consumers are craving and wanting comfort foods, foods that are really familiar to them, foods that they've grown up with, uh, with uh, and that includes certain categories of snacks and you know, things that, that, they're, that remind them of home or things that remind them of growing up um, because of that familiarity and that nostalgia. And at the same time, uh, we're seeing on the other end of the spectrum that because people have more time and because they're at home, there are consumers who also are really focused on their health. And because they have that bandwidth to really focus on it and they're being more diligent about what they're putting in their bodies and using this as an opportunity to try to lean into some of the things that they're trying to accomplish with their health and food as it relates to their health as well. And so we are really seeing, you know, like I said, that whole um, wide spectrum of eating habits, particularly as it relates to snacks. Mm -hmm. I think a couple of the other things that we're also seeing are we're seeing people trying new things too. So, and, you know, it could be because, they're looking for an alternative to what they usually buy and maybe that particular flavor or that item is out of stock on the shelf. And so we are seeing, especially with some of our newer products, they're really, um, such as, for example, our healthier cheese puffs, uh, people are trying them. You know, I think we got a, we, um, got a stat from one of our partners, one of our shopper marketing partners, that something like 60% of purchases for the Vienna brand in the last um, six weeks were new buyers for the first time, new households. So that's, you know, just a staggering statistic uh, for us to see that, you know, without us doing necessarily a marketing push, but just because of the environment that we're living in, um, we're getting all these people coming in and trying the brand for the first time. So, and then lastly, I would say we're, you know, we're also seeing a shift in where and how people are buying. So already, I think before this pandemic hit us, there was increasingly a, a larger number of households and consumers buying grocery online. Right. And we've seen that, you know, we've seen that accelerate quite a bit. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of stats showing the number of downloads of all the um, online delivery apps. And um, But, you know, we're seeing that across the board. It's not just focused on any one retailer, uh, but it is really focused on pretty much any um, online e-commerce retailer that focuses on food, as well as all the bricks-and-mortar retailers 
that are large names, that are large grocery chains that have launched online initiatives or initiatives for curbside pickup or for delivery to your home. All of those are really exploding right now as well. What impact has COVID-19 had on the supply chain? Well, you know, you know, I think for us, um, we're we're very, very fortunate in the in the sense that we there's there's different elements of the supply chain, right? So there's there's the ingredients and the raw materials themselves. There's the food production, and then there's that last piece of of getting the food to the grocery store shelf. And we're fortunate that from a raw materials and ingredients standpoint. All of our food is produced, and our materials and raw, ingredient, um, raw materials and ingredients are all sourced domestically. Um, so, you know that we didn't have um, specific concerns about, you know, um, ingredients or materials being brought in uh, from overseas or crossing uh, national boundaries, even within North America. So that was really helpful. And um, it, 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 that was helpful in ensuring that we had continued supply of our food, our right. snacks, particularly at the at the peak of the panic buying in March. And you know, obviously, the first thing we did as we started seeing a, a huge surge in sales was to secure our 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 food production. And so that was really working with our partners in in the various plants where we make our snacks to make sure that. Uh, the food production was secured, that each of our plants are following um, procedures around um, not only food safety, but additional procedures related to, um, the, related to the pandemic and ensuring that both the people and the food are very safe during the production process. So we're very fortunate that we haven't, you know, we've been able to keep up with the demand and we've been able to keep up with the surge. And... Um, we immediately, you know, we essentially doubled our production in order to be able to keep up with that demand. And we, I feel fortunate that we have the flexibility to be able to do that. So, and the last piece, the area I would say where we have seen a little more strain is that last piece of getting the food from our DC to say a grocery store. Right. And and that really has to do with freight and shipping and fulfillment. So, um, you know, both within the distributor chains uh, as well as, like I said, the freight and fulfillment piece as well. So I think that, you know, when, when there, I, I think that there was initially there was part of the reason the panic buying was happening in the United States is because, people started seeing empty shelves and they got concerned that there would be a limited supply of food. And in reality, it was not that there was not enough food available. There was enough food available, in fact, plenty of it, because many uh, many manufacturers, such as Vienna, were able to shift and flex in order to meet that demand. I think the challenge was in getting the food out to the grocery store shelves in the right you know, suddenly if a store is selling 2X or 3X or 4X what they're used to selling in a day, mm-hmm. um, there's, you know, there's the limited ability to store how much food can you store in the, where, in the back rooms, in the stock rooms, um, how, much, how many more trucks can you get to the grocery store. So I think that's where some of the constraints were and have been. 
So how do you predict these uh, snacking habits and these challenges will continue to play out? Well, I think, um, I do think that, you know, some of it we, we, are, we are all waiting to see how, how things um, play out because mm-hmm. I think some of this will depend on how long we are all advised to stay at home. I know that here within the United States right now there are states that are in various modes and different degrees of thinking through their strategy for reopening their states. But, um, but I, I do think that how long retailers and the supply chain are impacted um, will be impacted by, by some of those conditions um, and some of that guidance that we get, which we're all waiting to really understand how that's going to uh, play out. Um, but we, I, you know, we are starting to see, and we do expect that some of those um, wide swing, you know, um, across the spectrum in eating habits, we think that those will start to move to the center. We think that things will start to normalize. Um, I think what we've clearly seen, both in the data and we've experienced it ourselves in with our brand and, and our snacks in the market, is that there was this peak in the in buying in March. Then there was. Um, then all of these social distancing measures started to be implemented um, in at the grocery stores, and so that started having an impact on certainly how many trips people were making to the store and what they were buying and how they were buying because people are um, being asked to shop in a very particular pattern within the store. And but as as people have, it, it feels like people have entered a new phase uh, of eating and buying food, which is they're starting to return back to normal. And Mm -hmm. we're certainly seeing that in the data every week. Um, And so, you know, maybe if you're you're indulging in comfort, um, you may feel like this is the new normal and you're starting to get back to where your center is. Um, People who are eating really healthy and being really diligent um, you know, might have a day where they're just binging on something because it gives them joy. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I think, I think, so I think, you know, overall we'll start to see, th- we'll start to see things returning to normal. And I would say we're already starting to see that in the data. So what strategies should a snack producer adopt to keep product at the forefront of a consumer's mind? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, I think there's a couple of things there um, that we're we're doing on our end, which is we are certainly looking to social media and e-commerce, um, but really social media more so than the e-commerce piece to maintain that connection with our consumers, and whether it's our email database or whether it's our social media platforms themselves. We're trying to communicate, we are communicating with our most loyal consumers to keep them engaged with the brand and to really, we're also shifting our tone in terms of how we talk about things and and keeping the current environment in mind in terms of how we talk about things and the value that we're looking to deliver to them through Mm -hmm. our social media content. So I think that that's one piece of it. I think the other piece, of course, that we're thinking through is how do we shift 
how we do sampling and in-store demos, demonstrations, mm. uh, because that live sampling was certainly a key part of how we got our brand in front of new consumers and existing consumers if we're launching something new right. within one of our retail within one of our retail um, partner chains. And so I think that, you know, while the social media piece has always been important to us and we're leaning even further into it with the um, sampling piece, that certainly needs to shift quite a bit because I don't think anyone wants to suddenly within this environment try, you know, a food from a, from a, a table at a grocery store today. And so we're looking at other forms of sampling, whether it's, sampling directly to people's homes or working with different types of snack boxes that are, you know, snack boxes that are curating themes of different types of snacks together for consumers that are, that have those types of interests. And so we're exploring really a range of options for how we do consumer sampling in this type of environment right now. What is your company's strategy in tackling coronavirus? Well, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of the things that we are talk, have talked about, you know, are, are part of our strategy. So certainly ensuring that our snacks are safe and that we can continue to supply our snacks has been the number one most important part of our strategy. And we've made particular shifts within our supply chain, how much we're producing, how often we are on top of understanding uh, how demand is fluctuating. So there's been an increased amount of effort just around production volumes and staying on top of fluctuating demand. I think that's been a key part of it. I think um, the other part of it is that uh, we have had a significant shift in focus towards the e-commerce piece. We are seeing that the e-commerce part of our business is uh, certainly more than doubling and in some cases tripling depending on the retailer that you're that we're talking about and so where we had a certain amount of focus there before we have really doubled down on our efforts to um, have a stronger presence with various e-commerce retailers and to really position ourselves well for this for a future where consumers perhaps because of the pandemic tried out buying their groceries online or buying their snacks online and they found it to be really convenient. So we do expect that this trial and, and with increasing amount of consumers trying out grocery delivery at home, we mm -hmm. think that some good percentage of those consumers will stick with it um, or do that, get groceries delivered to their home more often because they've realized the convenience of that. And so we, you know, we wanted to ensure and we want to ensure that we're positioned well for that shift in terms of channels. So I think that's been another um, big aspect of our, of our shift. And then lastly, I would say that has really been about our communication. And as I mentioned, we, when the pandemic hit, we obviously had all types of content that we had planned for social media and email marketing. And, you know, so we had to really uh, go through all of that content and to ensure that it was it wasn't tone deaf um, and it really took the current environment into account. And so, you know, we'll continue to do that. We are we are thinking about, you know, how do we bring a little bit of levity or a little bit of joy to our consumers' days? 
um, given what they might be feeling on any given day. So we're so we're that's really become a part of our content strategy. And I would say just overall, we feel incredibly thankful that we have as a healthy plant-based protein snack brand. We're very thankful that we have a positive role to play within this kind of environment where people are looking to buy our snacks to nourish themselves whether it's they're looking for a little bit of comfort or they're looking to, you know, get something delicious while, while kind of still eating healthy, we're just very happy that we can play a, a positive role in nourishing people and their families. Do you see e-commerce and social media being as important once this crisis is over? I do. You know, I, I do think that things will continue to evolve, right? I mean, I do think right now there's all kinds of statistics um, floating around about, I think, you know, social media usage is up 50% right now. Um, certainly purchasing on Amazon and other e-commerce retailers is up significantly right now. So, you know, it may come down from these levels. I do think that there's a... Uh, there's an increase right now in particular simply because people are at home, right? And so their mm. people are bored. They, you know, they're trying to distract themselves. This is, you know, social media has become a way for people to stay connected to the outside world, whether it's their friends, their families, influencers they follow. So I do think some of that will naturally come down as, as the ability for people to engage in other activities outside of the home increases. So I think some of that will come down, but I do think that the role that they play um, has only heightened, and um, and I think that, that a lot of that will continue. What is the snackification trend, and how has it evolved? Well, I think you know it, it is it is constantly evolving, and um, you know I think in terms of snackification, it's certainly true today, and we talk about it at Vienna all the time that. It's, it has been really amazing to be a snack brand, watching these trends and being a part of the trends over the last five or so years, which is that people truly are no longer eating three square meals a day. Mm. They are grazing throughout the day. And that, that, frankly, is, I think, one of the key drivers of our growth because it's not only that they're grazing throughout the day, but, but consumers are looking for, they're no longer seeing snacks as this kind of throwaway filler in between meals, but they're actually looking to snacks as a way to get some substantive nutrition into their bodies. And so, therefore, brands such as Bienno that have plant-based protein, that have plant-based fiber that are really nourishing, that really um, give you some sustenance and can help you make it to your next larger meal, we, we certainly have a role to play, a, a strong role to play within that movement of snackification. I do think some of the other trends that we've seen will continue, right? So specifically around not just plant-based protein, but I think the idea of foods that are really simple and um, going back to the, the roots of what what food is and where it comes from. So I think we'll continue to see that. Um, I think we'll also continue to see, um, I think that there's a lot of focus right now on gut health mm. and fiber and in particular prebiotics and probiotics. And I think that 
the younger generation of millennials is certainly leaning into that trend and they're interested to learn more. It also relates to all of the news around the, the gut microbiome. And so there's a gut microbiome and there's an element of that that um, the supplements industry can, can play a role in. But I think that we're going to start seeing that within natural, and, um, natural food and beverage as well. And then lastly, I would say the trend around eco-friendly and specifically regenerative agriculture will continue. Mm. I think, you know, we've certainly seen um, uh, an in increased emphasis and interest in that by consumers. At Vienna, it is something we talk about because um, chickpeas and really all legumes, when you grow them in the ground, they actually regenerate the soil that they're in rather than depleting the soil. And so I think that that is an area that consumers will continue to be interested in as well. What are the challenges that come with these trends? Well, I think, you know, I think one of the challenges is just keeping up with the trends, right? Because right. any any one of these trends, it can evolve in a way that makes it totally different or that the trend is still there, but but it's evolved in a way that it is focused on a different set of applications of how that food or, or drinks come to life. And so, you know, what's, what's been amazing for us is that because we're working with legumes like chickpeas and lentils, um, because these foods are so timeless and have been around for thousands and thousands of years, it's been amazing to us that as the trends evolve, the core of our foods continues to be relevant. So, you know, as an example of that, I think, you know, years ago, it was really the gluten-free trend. And so we're, we're certainly gluten-free. Mm. I think lately there's been a lot of focus on, um, then there was kind of nut-free and we're fully nut-free. Right, right now, there's a significant focus on grain-free foods. And right. it's really because consumers are looking for foods that are more nutrient-dense and all of our snacks are naturally grain-free. And so we don't use any rice, we don't use any corn, there's no fillers. And so that's been really amazing to us. Um, and and, and I, think what it, I think what it shows is that there is some wisdom in terms of some of the ancient superfoods um, because, you know, we can't always predict exactly what trend is going to come about. We can't exactly predict, um, we can't exactly position ourselves for trends that are not, that we don't have visibility to five years from now. But as you look at your portfolio, I do think that there are certain um, groups of foods that can position you well, really, for any number of trends that may come your way. And so we were, you know, this is, this is one reason why I created the brand is because I felt like this group of ingredients has so much to offer and it has been largely uncommercialized within the stacking space. And seeing the number of brands that have launched into the space, um, you know, it turns out that that hunch was true. And so it's just been exciting to be one of the pioneers and leaders um, helping to, you know, bring this set of ingredients out to the, to, to the masses and making them more accessible. Please, could you tell me more about Vienna Snacks? Sure. So um, I originally created the brand because I was trying to solve a problem for myself, which is that I was pregnant 
and I'm certainly a salty snack lover, and I found myself snacking on a lot of chips that were organic, and I realized that, you know, these chips are made with organic ingredients, but nutritionally, they're really not doing anything for my body. Right. And I kind of had this question, like, why do we need to compromise? There are all these new healthy foods that are talking about how clean their ingredients are, and yes, that's better than artificial ingredients, but why can't I also have something positive in terms of actual nutrition um, to kind of help me in my day or to energize me or to keep my day, help me move forward in my day. And with, I'm Indian and I'm also vegetarian, have been vegetarian my whole life. So, but growing up, I was, because of my culture, I was just really exposed to the whole world of legumes and lentils and beans and chickpeas. And they were just a part of, I, I didn't think anything much of them because they were just a part of my life growing up. Right. And, um, but at the time, I was also happened to be a brand manager for a large CPG company at the time. And so, I mean, I had been trained in um, classical brand management, and I was shopping at a store one day, and I came across this product that was marketed as, as a healthy snack, and I turned it over to the back, and I, I was really stunned by the nutrition facts panel because there was basically it was marketed as being healthy but there was basically not a lot of nutrition there and (laughs) in that and and I just said like there's got to be something better and and you know in that moment I thought of the idea of this snack that I grew up which is a roasted chickpea snack and and so you know with that idea and that problem I was trying to solve for myself combined with my background in consumer products and brand management I kind of put that all together and I said, well, is there something that I could develop for the American market, you know, for the U.S. market that takes this idea of a whole chickpea and makes it, you know, can we make it in a way that tastes so good that a consumer, an average everyday person would want to eat, say, a crispy barbecue roasted chickpea instead of a of a of a barbecue potato chip can we wow. offer that same kind of crunch and flavor satisfaction in a snack because i just thought the idea that if we could replace something that was non-nutritive um and replace that with a whole bean essentially that's full of good protein and fiber and really satisfy those same cravings along the way i thought we could make a really really big impact on the American market and the American consumer. So that's how we got started. And, you know, because we had that focus strategically from the beginning, which was, it really, you know, it wasn't about taking a snack from another country and bringing it here. It was really about solving a problem for the American consumer Uh or solving a, not, not a problem, but a need for the American consumer, which was to offer an alternative to the snacks that they love, but to deliver the same taste satisfaction Um, because of that strategy that you know that led us to go down the path of creating a texture and a crunch for our roasted chickpea snacks that that is similar to a potato chip Mm -hmm. Um, and that led us to to develop flavors that are mainstream American snacking flavors like barbecue and honey roasted and sea salt and things like that and so I think all of that, you know, those strategies served us really well. And it really is amazing because now this is actually like roasted bean snacks is actually a category 
uh, it's a subcategory of snacks within the United States with many brands, um, you know, within the space. So it's been, it's been just amazing to see the category developing. And then over time, you know, we realized that, um, you know, we could take this concept of, of creating snacks that are healthier, um, but we could also apply it to other categories within snacking that consumers are familiar with and love, but they play a different role in their day than, say, a more nutritionally dense um, eating occasion, which is the occasion that our roasted chickpea snacks play into. And that's really what led us to launch our line of healthy cheese cheese puffs. Right. And um, and so, you know, they're really the first grain-free, high-protein cheese puff. And it, it tastes like the cheese puff that you grew up with, but mm-hmm. it's actually completely made with chickpeas and lentils. And we have aged white cheddar. We have a ranch flavor. Um, and so we launched those last year, and it's just it's been amazing to see consumers really adopt them and get so excited about seeing something that offers them that comfort that they grew up with, um, that they can snack on, you know, if they're watching Netflix or whatever, you know, whatever they're doing in their day, um, but still eat a little bit healthier. And we do have more products in development in our pipeline as well that will you know, you'll see us branching out into other categories within snacking where we take this, the, the core of what we're, we're really good at at Vienna, which is to deliver on different snacking needs, but in a much healthier but equally delicious way. Mm-hmm.